This hot, this the spot, there it is, pod.com. We're interviewing the best comedians, so tune in quick and get your ears receiving them. We talking about life and life to stream right to you. From the microphone right to your home, dude. Side note, this might get embarrassing, but no, don't sweat, yo, cause there it is. My, my, my. Welcome to the There It Is podcast. Uh, thank you to Vado and Neil Brooks for that awesome theme song. I'm your host, Jason Favre. Let's do this. If this is your first time listening to the podcast, thank you. A little bit about me. I'm an actor and comedian in the upstate of South Carolina. I'm doing this podcast to pick the brains of great comedians so I can learn from them and, and do better work and hopefully other people pursuing comedy can learn too there it is is where it is for people who want to learn more about the process of creating comedy go to thereitispod.com to read blogs about stand-up and improv comedy theory and some thoughts also follow us on twitter at there it is pod and like us on facebook just look up there it is and you will uh, you should find us just like us there What a fun couple of guests I have on this episode. I talked to the members of comedy duo The Reformed Whores, Katie Frame and Marie Anderson, two wonderful comedians and wonderful people, but they're wonderful comedians and singer-songwriters. We talk a good bit about both writing comedy and writing music, as well as being a stage performer. I learn so much. That great interview coming up right after this. A bonus episode of There It Is is coming soon. Alchemy Comedy hosted a Greenville Comedy Marathon in Greenville, South Carolina, and part of it involved recording a podcast. Alchemy Comedy's founder and artistic director, Harrison Brookie, interviewed comedians local to Greenville. I'll be posting that talk here with the help of Jason Underwood, who is in Alchemy, Laughing Stock Improv, and co-hosts the Bearded Ones podcast. That talk is a great way to see what all is going on in the comedy scene of hashtag Yeah That Greenville. There it is, bonus episode, coming soon. Follow us at There It Is Pod on Twitter to find out the date on that, or you can subscribe to There It Is on iTunes and you'll get the updates of all new episodes. Katie and Marie, thanks so much for being here. Yeah, thank you for having us. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I am uh, very happy to have you two on. Uh, as you know, I'm huge fans of yours. As of well, you. thank you. <laughs> We're big fans of yours as well. Thank you very much. That's very kind of you. Uh, so, Reform Tours, you all have been together for a while now, right? Like, I, it was a couple years ago that I met you. Mm-hmm. I think we're about like five and a half, half fresh. <laughs> five, five and a oh, half. Oh, that's something like that. Yeah. Five years. Wow, that's a good, that's a good bit of time there. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a substantial amount of time without being in a crazy amount of time. Where like, what are we doing with our lives? <laughs> yeah. I guess we've been touring now for three years. Now, background-wise here, uh, you two, as wonderfully as you two get along and your stage presence together, your chemistry is so great. You have not known each other since you were little kids, like one would expect. No, not at all. That's sort of the miracle of this whole thing. (laughs) Yeah. 
Somehow we uh, are we, soulmates in some crazy way. Yeah, yeah we've only known well, each other for six years. Well, I mean, so. the band's been around for five and a half years, and we've known each other for five and a half years. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's amazing. That's catching lightning in a bottle. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it's yeah. crazy. We, we were so lucky. Yeah, we met randomly at a um, friend's birthday party in Brooklyn, and we <laughs> hung out all night at that birthday party, and by the end of it, we had said that we would start a band, and then that following weekend, Katie came over to my apartment, and we just started making each other laugh with silly songs, and then I booked us a month in, and then we just kind of have gone from there. Yeah, I mean, I, I've talked to you enough to know that that's your origin story. That is such a succinct origin story. That could be a movie. That's the that's the beginning of the movie. It would yeah. be the shortest it's, movie it's, ever. <laughs> Just so <laughs> yeah, I think the subway. The sub, there was a subway performer at, at the birthday party that, Katie, if ever we make the movie, we got to find him. Yeah, we'll find him. We'll reenact the whole thing. We'll get other people to play us, though. Well, hopefully Funny or Die or Judd Apatow will be uh, calling you up and making that movie. Yeah, Zach Galifianakis to play me in the reenactment video. <laughs> <laughs> It's like a dream. Zach <laughs> Galifianakis. Um, who, who would play me then? Um, mm. Julia Roberts. Oh my God, that's perfect. Yeah. <laughs> I like it. Great. I love it. Very accurate. Anyway. <laughs> now, Marie grew up in Nashville. Oh, yeah, in Katy, Maryland. And uh, Katy. You studied uh, dance and music in in college, correct? That's right. I applied as a biology major and then switched majors, didn't tell my parents, and just switched to art. <laughs> wow, yeah. yeah. And Marie, what did you study in school? Well, I wanted to be a theater performance major, but my parents wouldn't let me major in that. Uh, so I majored in theater education. So I was certified to teach drama <laughs> but wow yeah yeah so when did you get a uh, bit by the performance dr- uh, bug it's also like uh, yeah <laughs> we're addicted um how i started really <laughs> i started really young in nashville my parents like encouraged uh me and my sisters to do the nashville children's theater camp like theater camp that's like when we were five during the summer and um, so I started really young, just, like, loving being in front of an audience. Like, I didn't care what I was doing. I just wanted to be in front of a crowd. And that kind of continued and uh, still very <laughs> present in my drive for performing. And Katie, what about you? Um, I, I, I talked to myself a lot as a kid and <laughs> like living in another world for a long time. And I think that, like... I love the idea of just, like, escaping into other places. Um, so I think I, there was always something that sort of drove me to want to be, like, an actor or something, but that wasn't really, like, allowed in my house right away. They, my parents wanted me to be, like, a scientist or whatever. And, um, which is, I mean, nothing left is anything wrong with being a scientist. No, <laughs> um, but uh, I, we, I did a, the big one was I did Wendy and Peter Pan, in Peter Pan uh, in eighth grade, and I just remember, like, you know, like there's the fourth wall, right? Where like you, mm-hmm. you sort of pretend there's another wall there on the stage. Uh, 
when where the audience is sitting. And I remember, like, in the, literally that scene where she's like, boy, why are you crying? Like, I was in that scene, and I forgot that I was on stage. I just totally forgot, and I was, like, in another world. And I, in that moment when I finally kind of caught myself, like, oh, I'm actually in front of people right now. I'm not just, like, alone in the room with a flying boy. I, um, I was like, this is, I love this. This is what I want to do. I want to escape my life <laughs> through theater. <laughs> <laughs> And have you both been musical your whole life? Yeah, I think we both just grew up with music in in us. I, growing up in Nashville, like country music was very prevalent in my life, and I did. Right. Um, I was in the church choir since I was. I started that when I was four years old, and then I continued on. I loved singing in the church choir. We toured all over the country. It was like it was just so awesome doing that all growing up, and then. Um, I would go back even on in college and sing, but now I don't do that anymore because I don't go to church. <laughs> so no more choir. <laughs> yeah, and for me, like my um, much to the surprise of my parents, like I just kind of was like like Marie sort of said, like just born with music in me, and uh, I always mm-hmm. sort of surprised people with what I could like come up with or whatever um, as a kid. So uh, it kind of just came naturally. I don't know. Music is pretty great pretty great thing yeah mm-hmm. we so both piano the... and stuff oh yeah. yeah i played piano for a bunch of years and i started singing at like about 10 um and then i majored in music like you said so uh at some point you both moved to new york city what was the aspiration in in that goal for you katie i was dead set on being on broadway that was like my thing i was Broadway's jam. I really wanted to um, do those shows. And I actually, after I graduated, I started auditioning for musicals and Broadway stuff right when I moved to New York and when I was 18, where I, I went to college in New York City. Um, but uh, And it took a while to kind of figure out how to audition because I was not good at it <laughs> for a long time. And I finally, when I met Maria, I was like in this weird place where I was getting callbacks all the time for these big shows, but um, just wasn't booking anything. So that got really frustrating and I think I just got burned out on that whole scene. And I think in retrospect, like, not to say that I couldn't, I think I, I still think it'll happen. I still think I'll end up on Broadway one day. But um, I have to be the right part because, like, I'm just a little too weird for some of these, like, you know, Lori and <laughs> Oklahoma and stuff. You know, like, I, they, I just couldn't <laughs> quite get them on board with me. And I would sing weird songs at the auditions and stuff. Nobody got me, you know. <laughs> so this is a better fit. <laughs> I bet I believe that no doubt that you will be on Broadway someday and it'll be like your part it'll probably be a part written for you totally I think it's me or like you know I'll write it or whatever like yeah yeah the reformed whore is the Broadway musical yeah, yeah. we did off Broadway yeah. I mean my we did yeah on down the street we do have a mm-hmm. theatrical show if we wanted to do that but yeah. the producers are any money <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. Uh, Marie, what about you? When What was your reason for, for going to New York? Oh, you know, I wanted to live in New York City my whole life. And I came here wanting to, you know, act and, like, and just, I, I, I always, like, New York is where you make it, you know? And I came here and, and was auditioning immediately. And I had done a lot of theater. I'd actually, when I graduated, I went to Appalachian State in North Carolina. When I graduated, I actually moved to California and did a theater apprenticeship out there um, for a full year. So 
I immersed myself in theater, and it was amazing. It was an incredible experience. But it definitely made me be like, you know what, I think I might want to do, like, TV and film. <laughs> and so by the time I moved to New York, um, I was really focused more on, like, trying to do some TV stuff. And, and I did, like, a dozen uh, independent films, like, the first two years I lived in New York. And just really focused on film, but also, like, auditioning. And, and, yeah, like Katie said, by the time, like, I met her, I had done this independent film, and it had gotten in all these festivals, and I was, like, so optimistic, and I was like, this is my time. I'm going to be, like, Zoe Deschanel, like, the independent film star. It's my time. And and honestly, nothing happened. Like, the movie came and went, and I still was working at my restaurant job and, like, just feeling so defeated. And I didn't understand how the industry worked because I worked so hard to get to that one point, and nothing, nothing, nothing. And when I met Katie, like, she had the exact same stories. I mean, she got, like, five callbacks for, like, every Broadway show, you know, that she would go out with. So it's just, like, we were at this place where we were so close to, like, these really big things, but why weren't these happening? So we really took over our destiny and started writing and creating our own material. And then now more opportunities are coming our way for um, our for us acting on television and, and developing things, but also personally and, and as actors. So yeah, I've long thought and continue to it, it continues to be validated that the best way to really make it is to start creating your own thing. Yeah, I think more now than ever. I think that that didn't always used to be the case, but now with like mm-hmm. YouTube and like with these like inexpensive cameras and. And that kind of thing, like, there's always been a need for, you know, like, these sitcoms were always, like, like Seinfeld is built around, like, a guy that did stand-up, you know what I mean? That, so that was him making his own work, too. But I think now more than ever, like, these networks and stuff, they really want stuff that's already fully formed. So, um, mm-hmm. and as we're trying to audition for these TV and film parts or these, like, you know, theater things, like, that's not really, that's not really how it works as much anymore. It's just so much more competitive to do that. So if you're, like, motivated to do something or make something, then, like, definitely just go out there and make it. That was one thing, too. Like, I, I was working at this pottery studio right before I met Marie. And the first sort of little thing I did to put myself out there, because I was sort of nervous about, like, you know, YouTube and, like, putting things out there and being judged for it and stuff. I made this, like, really stupid, like, uh video while I was at work, which is probably not a good idea, but I did it anyway, and because uh, nobody was coming in the store, and it was a silly little, like, video, but it was kind of funny, and um, I remember being so nervous, like, should I put it out, should I put it out, and I did, and I was like, fuck it, I'm going to do it, I put it out, and my the feedback was just so nice and so supportive and so good, and friends that saw it were like, that's so funny, and that really gave me a lot of confidence to start being, like, when I did finally meet Maria, everything was like, in line, I think the stars were aligned because I think mm-hmm. maybe if I hadn't been as confident about, you know, putting stuff out there at that moment, you know, um, but I think that like, even if it's a dumb idea or if it's a little thing, it's like, just make it just do it. Yeah. Know. Yeah. It's so, the fear of failure is so, um, so real and raw, but like, it's like we have this one little life and you got to make the absolute best of it. So don't let fear get in the way of anything, of anything. And I definitely struggle with that up and down. Like, you know, you do get anxious and you do worry, like, you know, that are, are people going to find this funny or whatever. But, like, you just have to go over that hurdle and be confident. And, like, we're so lucky because we're in a duo so we can bounce things off each other and, and, and 
you know, what we put out there, but just do it. It's so exciting once you do. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I think there's so much satisfaction in just going ahead and doing what you want to do and not waiting around. Like it's, it just isn't like it was in the eighties and nineties where if you got to be well known for what you do, and I'm strictly talking comedy right now, uh, then somebody will say, Hey, why don't you pitch us an idea and they'll sell it to you a spec script or something like that. I mean, they, mm-hmm. they might green light something, but yeah, it's, it's definitely different now. I mean, you can't really go through the same channels. Now you have to, you do have to have that fully formed thing for people to even start paying attention. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it definitely helps, you know? And I mean, the other thing though, is it's like, there's no rules to this game. Everybody, you know, if you're a doctor, mm-hmm. you go through medical school, you do this, you do that, you become a doctor, don't kill anybody. Great. Whatever. But like, um, <laughs> exactly. as a comedian like or as a performer in any aspect like there's so there's no rules and things keep changing and everybody thinks they know how it works and nobody knows how it works so yeah just do you do what you want to do and then i think that's probably the best anybody can do you know yeah i'm i i couldn't agree more with that and i'm currently reading uh elizabeth gilbert's book big magic and um yeah i've been reading that too yeah, it's a great read, and uh, I also saw a speech she gave, or a public speaking engagement she did with Oprah, where she was saying, instead of instead of telling people to find their passion, she was saying, uh, instead, it's better to follow your curiosity. So, mm, I love that. Isn't that so great? It's such a perfect way to really put it, because it just helps you follow through on things, and it doesn't give you the... Uh, pressure to be the best or to, to have to have some kind of outcome. Mm-hmm. All you have to do is follow your curiosity. It. Yeah. 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 If you want to make a little video and post it online, hey, why not? I mean, Katie, that's what you did. <laughs> you know, you yeah, follow yeah, your curiosity. Yeah. Yeah. yeah there's something so, that said, like, if you, if you feel fear, doing something then you're probably doing it right <laughs> you're right you're living yeah. life right yeah that's just standing like on the edge of a cliff or something and then just, like, <laughs> <take a step> <laughs> in that case that is that don't don't use that yeah <laughs> this is totally a cure uh, the curiosity thing is totally when it comes to your career or creativity almost specifically uh, creativity, not like I wonder what it's like to kill a band. <laughs> totally, yeah, yeah, right. Don't follow that curiosity. Um, <laughs> uh, but so yeah, so comedy. How does how did comedy enter into your lives? It sounds like there was a lot of performance. There's a lot of music, but when did comedy enter into the picture for for you, Marie? Man. Um... You know, as a kid, like I said, I went to church a lot, living in Nashville, super Christian growing up. Um, I used to get in trouble a lot uh, at church, especially. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, I mean, it was it, there was a thrill in it for me because I knew, like, being bad at church was, like, extra bad. And so I would uh-huh. crack jokes. Like, I mean, as a little kid, I don't know, I would just, like, just be such a ham. I would do anything to get a laugh, yeah. especially at church, because I knew it was like, ooh, we're all supposed to act, like, really, you know, peaceful and don't, right, you know, <laughs> don't make any waves at church because people talk or whatever. I don't know. I just remember 
that early really trying to be funny. And then growing up, um, I don't know, there was definitely times of being bullied. And then you use comedy to, like, get out of that stuff. And so that happened a lot um, growing up because kids were mean. <laughs> so when did it professionally, like, when did, because you, you studied at UCB? I did, yeah, here in New York. Yeah, I mean, in high yeah. school, I did a lot of theater, um, and so the comedies, we did a lot of comedy. I love doing, like, Shakespeare comedies. Those are always fun, too. Um, but yeah, when I went moved to New York City, I had a commercial agent tell me that I should get UCB Upright Citizens Brigade on my resume, and I would uh, immediately then, so I signed up for those classes and started doing improv, and I'd done improv, like, in high school and in college um, off and on, but... Um, yeah, I hadn't ever, like, really studied it. And so that was really a fun time, living in New York and going to improv class and then going to UCB because you can get into all the uh, the shows for free. So Yeah. Yeah, but then because of UCB, it really, like, kind of gave me confidence to kind of try my own brand of comedy and being, you know, I was, like, dating a musician at the time, and so I was like, well, if he's in a band, I'll be in a band, too. It's easy. <laughs> so I bought a ukulele and taught myself how to play watching YouTube videos. And Oh, wow. Writing. Yeah, I started writing. I always wrote poetry and haikus, like, growing up. Just that was never – I love rhymes, and I love, like – I love Shel Silverstein and – um that sort of stuff growing up. So, like, any kind of poetry I always kind of did. So then I just set it to music, and then it started making people laugh. But then when I met Katie, she, like, took it to a whole new level because she had this, like, real music background. And, yeah, it was – that's how I got into that. (laughs) Katie, how did you get into comedy? Um, I mean, similarly as a child, like, I was, like, a weird, funny little kid, so I uh, made friends by being the weird and funny one. <laughs> that worked to my advantage. But then when I got to college, um, I, there was this show, so I went to Barnard College, which is part of Columbia University in New York City, and Columbia, every year for up to, like, 120 years in a row now, they've had this thing called the Varsity Show, where um, it's all student-run, and the students uh, write and direct and perform and produce this. Uh, it's a it's like a big um, it's a satire like on the college campus. It's all like inside jokes and stuff. But it but it's very very popular and it's like they only took like it would be something like you know eight cast members or ten cast members a, a year and uh, it was like a it was like the big deal. And I got into Varsity Show, which blew my mind. I couldn't even believe that they took me. Uh, and the audition was all, like, improv and some singing because it was a musical, too. Um, and I'd never done improv, ever. I didn't even know what I was doing. And I remember thinking, like, oh, I'm terrible at this. Uh, but they loved it. They took me, and I um, we I ended up meeting all these, like, really, really funny, funny group of people. And we worked together on this show. I did that for two years. And then I ended up joining the improv group on campus, um, too. And that was my introduction to improv. And we didn't have a lot of rules that we followed with it. We just <laughs> we did what we did. We, we didn't really know what we were doing. But we were good, and we were popular on campus, and that was very exciting to just be a part of that community and um, have a whole new thing opened up to me that I didn't know what it was. Again, though, unfortunately, like, because of fear and self-doubt, I didn't really um, 
follow through on some of my comedy stuff, even though people were telling me like you should do more comedy things, but like I was just scared. So I, I, I wasted some time at the beginning. I, I took classes at UCB, but I didn't push it further. And um, it took me a while to kind of come back around to the comedy scene. I was sort of got roped into the musical theater world for a while, but um but I'm really happy and glad that I was introduced to any of that. And, the, and you know, again, working with just some really, really funny people is just an exhilarating experience. And, and improv is, like, maybe the most terrifying thing that there is that ever could exist. <laughs> More terrifying <laughs> than the other thing, you know? We've seen, we've, luckily, we've been able to, you know, travel across the country, and we've seen some of the most incredible improvised performers. If anyone has ever, like, if you ever get the chance, you have to see Improvised Shakespeare Company. It is it will blow your mind what these guys do. They put on a full three-act, like, play, all Shakespeare play. Like, they do iambic pentameter. Like, it, it, blow, it will blow your mind. They were based in Chicago, and then uh, Thomas Middleditch, actually, from Silicon Valley, is in it. Everybody knows. Oh, wow, I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. he's in this. this yeah, Katie, we, we've seen them together. It's crazy. I've heard them mentioned time and time again. I have not been in the same place that they were performing, but uh, I mean, I I heard Sharna Halpern rave about them and say that they're doing the best improv in the country, and that's saying something because there's so much good improv going on right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and she's very familiar with TJ and Dave. Say again, Katie. Yeah, I was just gonna say that uh, that improvised Shakespeare really is on like another level. It's pretty amazing. Um, and T.J. and David, I mean, I haven't seen them, but I'm dying to see them. I've only heard good things, and sort of their style of how they get into their scenes, I hear, is, like, very organic, and that's really exciting. Hmm. I'd love to see it. Uh, we saw Absent and what? Scott Absent. Oh, okay. Scott Absent and Dennis yeah. from uh, yeah. Dirty Rock. And John Lutz. Yeah, yeah. Those two are great. Those two are so great. Um, someone was telling me, uh, Henry Henry Riggs, from Theater 99 was telling me that, uh, Ed, and Harrison Brookie from Alchemy in uh, Greenville, South Carolina, uh, they both, uh, we were just all talking about Scott Adsit, and Henry Riggs was saying that um, Scott Adsit has the most amazing screen, I mean, not screen, but stage confidence. He's ever. Because uh, mm-hmm. they did a scene together and he, Henry had initiated the scene and he looked over at Scott Adsit and it was just Scott Adsit's eye contact with him was, it blew him away. <laughs> just, oh, his, yeah. just the way, just the way he made eye contact with Henry made Henry, it like took him aback. You know what it is? He listens like a motherfucker. Oh, I shouldn't say that, sorry. <laughs> that oh, that's okay. <laughs> he, he knows how to listen, and um, he, like, it's it's incredible to watch even, you know, like, the the best improvisers are also the best listeners, I think. And uh, I agree. eye contact is just him being very present. And, and most, mm. it's mm. so hard to get to that point, I think. Um, you know, mm-hmm. that's where all the, the years of practice come in. I'm sure he didn't start out that way. I mean, it probably took time to get there, but... Um, I'm terrible at it. Cool. Listening? I am. I'm getting so bad at listening because I, I mean, in the the one of the teams I'm in, uh, so many times listening to the monologist uh, tell a story, 
something will trigger a thought and I'm off and I'm like, oh, wait, I gotta go back. To, <laughs> I got to listen to the rest of the story. I always have to do that to myself, but, um, it's not easy. Yeah. It takes practice. Yeah. Yeah. I always liked improv because, um, I studied Meisner in acting school and like, oh, amazing. Yeah. That acting technique is just listening and reacting and mm-hmm. when I started doing classes at UCB, I was like, oh, my God, it's like my Meisner training. You just have to be completely out of your head and focused and listening to the, next, to the other person. But, like, it's how do you do that and then make it this brilliant piece of art? I don't understand how that works, you know? I was always really yeah. listening and, and reacting and, like, having whatever. But, like, the, the Herald teams, the, the callbacks, the the just creating like a really amazing plot line just out of nowhere. I don't know. That's, I'm not good at that. People that are able to do that are really, really gifted. It's so cool to see. All the, the only times I've, theater 99, Greg and, and Brandy are amazing improvisers. Yeah. Uh, they're some of my favorite people on and off stage. Speaking of that, uh, the favorite people on and off stage, you two, are two of my favorite people on and off stage. Uh, And that's sincere. That's sincere. I'm not just sucking up. (laughs) Your stage presence and your stage chemistry is really amazing. And we've gone over how you two ended up in New York, how music and comedy played roles in your lives. So how did you two meet and say, let's make this band together? (laughs) I mean, it really was... Yeah. We got at a party and talk and we're like, let's start a band and then we did it. <laughs> I mean, yeah. We totally and fell back, like, backwards into yeah. this thing. So there was just a spark in the, a, a moment where you two just knew this is where you needed to go? I mean, really, it really was a lot like that. It was very organic, the way the whole thing unfolded. Like, we, we met, we were both kind of frustrated with the industry. We decided to do a project together. We I came over that week. We did, we started writing stuff together we started performing songs and then the act sort of slowly developed naturally from you know we, we didn't wear costumes at first and then we started doing costumes and the all the the writing that happens in between the skits like that sort of slowly developed um some of it was on stage some of it was off stage um but it was like we didn't have this like grand plan per se when we started it just sort of started happening um and I think that that's also one thing that worked to our advantage is that, like, we didn't really have an ulterior motive. We just wanted to do stuff and not, you know, just we just wanted to do stuff. <laughs> I don't know. And uh-huh. um, so we were less afraid to try things, I think. And we also didn't know how the comedy community worked so much. So we didn't know that we were kind of breaking rules by, like, being really girly on stage or, you know, or, like, people, we didn't know that people didn't like musical comedy, you know, necessarily. So we just did it anyway, and we just did it well. So people were like, wait a minute, actually – we do like this, you know. Oh, wow. You know, I never thought about it that way uh, from a, you know, people don't really like musical comedy. I mean, I know that in stand-up, it's um, not highly regarded for someone to do both in a lot of circles. But I was so immediately on board. I, I get that to a certain extent just because sometimes people aren't doing songs. And if they are doing songs, they're kind of corny songs and stand yeah. up but when i first saw you two i mean the whole thing was just so great the songs the character 
the stage presence again, the, the whole presentation was, it felt more like watching sketch, like musical sketch or something, uh, than it felt like some sort of hokiness or something like that, because it's not hokey. That I think means a lot. You guys are doing it really well. Um, but not until you said it now did I even notice that that was uh, a possibility, that anyone would have said, oh, musical comedy, I don't want to hear that. Um, yeah, well, like, that has sort of a bad rap in the stand-up world, and that was kind of the world we jumped into. So I, it, at first, we, we were a little bit of a hard sell when, we, when people, before they saw us on stage, people would be like, oh, God, another musical com- comedy band. And then once we started performing, people were like, oh, just kidding. This is great. Let's have fun. And then that. <laughs> our, best, our favorite thing is, like, we get off stage and people are like, man, I usually hate musical comedy. Or, man, I really, I hate country music. But I see you girls and, like, it's like that when they say that they hate musical comedy or country music and that they love us, it's like we we try really we practice a lot and we really it was very important it was especially very important to Katie when we first started out but just you know we are musical and so to really push it to a really high standard um and then just trying to be as funny as possible too sometimes in musical comedy somebody's really funny but maybe not that great at the music part or they're an incredible musician but it's not that funny so it is it's right. it's not the easiest art form. So glad we picked it. <laughs> it is really great work. It is uh, it is all around good. How did you uh, develop your voice as the Reformed Whores? Um, well, I mean, again, I think it was very organic. We um, When we talked at the party, the other thing, aside from the industry that we complained about was we complained about boys and like our love life <laughs> and that kind of motivated us and um i went to an all-girls uh university too so like women's issues were always sort of on the forefront of my mind just being in that environment and i know marie feels strongly about those things too so we also just wanted to sh- that that sort of whole concept of like a woman can be sexual and be you know good girlfriend material it doesn't have to be one or the other um, I think it's like a theme that we really feel strongly about. So that's sort of what it certainly initially like propelled the, the theme of the band. Mm-hmm. Um, it's very serious. And then, so, <laughs> <laughs> that's, <yeah>. so the <laughs> concept, I mean, honestly, it's really empowering for women. Um, and because you, you're, taking control of the stage and you're taking control of your identities and your that's a lot of the themes of your music yeah. how did that uh how did you come to that decision with saying like we're going to be the reform tours and and uh uh here's the sort of stuff we can talk about it was really like just exactly what was happening in our lives at, you know what where we draw from to write if it's a story it's probably happened in our lives or we, you know, you can play with, play with it. But I think like we are modern women and we, we live in New York city and we're dating and, and we have incredible uh, experiences that uh, we pull from and, and write songs about. <laughs> so it's so, it's, I think it's, yeah. No, continue. Well, I, I think it's really, um, 
you know, we've been getting a lot of press because our album just came out yesterday. It dropped. Um, and, you know, we, a lot of journalists have been asking, like, you know, why do you choose to be go so sexual and why do you choose, um, you know, all, all to be, you know, female-centered and stuff. And, like, it's because we're women. <laughs> it's, like, the simplest answer. It's, like, we're women and this is what we think about. And, and I think also been, in the media and in, yeah, and in, like, in entertainment and stuff, one challenge that we're facing, and I think uh, people of color face the same challenge, is that, like, we're not always represented as whole people. You know, you're either the sexy mm-hmm. one or you're the um, nerdy one. The nerd, or the yeah. One or the pretty one, as opposed to just being, like, whole people, you know? And I think that that's mm-hmm. one of the things that we try to break down some of the those barriers. Barriers, where, you know, yeah. Everybody's got a little bit of everything in them, you know, and and you you just don't see that as much, you know, reflected back to you when you go see a show, and that's that's part of our motivation is to be like, all right, guys, let's get on board, you know. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, I mean, those are definitely definitely great uh, themes to explore because that is what's it's it's going on in your lives. It's also going on in our culture right now. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's there's a lot of opportunity for fodder and and all of that to uh, to explore and express through your music. Yes. So and as our, as our oh sorry, one more point. Um, as our job as comedians, and this is what I've learned since writing specifically, you know, for comedy these last several years. But our job as a comedian is to to poke fun of something, you know, or like give a different view or a different spin on things that, that everyone is thinking, but maybe afraid to say. And that's what I think, you know, some of the greatest comedians, like, you know, Louis C.K., like, you know, it'll be the same theme or the same topic or something, but then he'll say one thing and it makes you think a completely different way. And I think that that's yeah. like the neatest thing about comedy is that you have this power to really make people think. And, and it's, it's an incredible, like, yeah, it's, a, it's an incredible yeah, gift. Yeah, maybe in like, oh, sorry. Mm-hmm. Well, no, yeah, I know you're, you're going to say exactly. Well, I was going to say um, that uh, also that, like, the hope really, in a way, not for our album sales, but for society, <laughs> is that in 10 years, 20 years, all of our songs will, like, be almost obsolete because the things we talk about, everyone's going to be like, well, yeah, duh, you know? But right now, mm-hmm. what makes it interesting is that people are hearing these things for the first time coming out of women's mouths, you know, and like, which is kind of crazy because we've all felt these things, but nobody's talking about them. So um, that's also such a cool thing about comedy is that like you start saying things that people are afraid to say to get them out there in the world so that we can like then move forward as like a society, you know? Yeah. Katie and I, we always joke about this, but like it's it's really our MO is that we want Sounds corny, but we really want to change the world for the better. And mm-hmm. I don't know. It's neat to kind of put that as like a, you know, your mantra when you're, when we do write together and stuff, because we really try to be very positive and, and uplifting, not self-hating, um, because we do think comedy can change the world. Sounds corny, and but it's true. I totally agree. I mean... Laughter makes so many things easier to bear. Yeah. And I and I also think um I think what what you're expressing now about the passion behind what you do comes through in 
even how it's done on stage. I mean, I've, I've seen you to perform two or three times at least. And each time there's so much power behind it. And, um, I think there's, there's a certain confidence level as a performer that is coming through because I think you're so passionate about it. And I think it helps the ideas that you're expressing have more of an impact and stick a little more. Sure. Mm-hmm. Well, that's really interesting now singing. We've been, you know, we, we, we're singers, so we sing all kinds of songs. But it's really been interesting lately. We've been doing some covers at some performances that was late, which normally we don't really do. But on Valentine's Day, we covered a Taylor Swift song with some friends. And then at our record release show, we covered another song. And it's really interesting singing somebody else's song now that we've, I've been writing music for myself for like the last several years. And so all of a sudden singing somebody else's song, it's, it's just like a different mu- acting muscle all of a sudden. But it's when you know, right. you're singing your own material that you've written together or whatever, it's like it is powerful because we, 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 this is our message. These are our words. This is what we have to say. And then all of a sudden when you're singing somebody else's song, you're like, oh, right, I didn't write this. How do I act as passionately through this song as I would something I'd written? So it's like kind of it's an acting muscle that I'd forgotten about yeah. up until recently. Yeah. Also, like in terms of comedy for advice for other people that I've sort of been absorbing and, you know, I, and, and observing, ab, absorbing and observing <laughs> is um, that like the best comedy is you, you, the reason why people always talk about finding your voice like in stand up or whatever is because you have to talk about what matters to you. You can't pander to an audience. You can't, those, those acts don't ultimately do very well, I think, you know, you have sure. to talk about what moves you. Even if what moves you is like, you know, uh, picking up dog poop or whatever, like it, it can be about anything, but you really have to mean it and you really have to like want to talk about it and you really have to like uh, feel strongly about it and have a strong opinion about it. And I think that like that's one thing that you pick up on when you see what we do because that is exactly what we're the direction we're angle we're coming from, you know. Yeah, I mean, it reminds me of, uh, and I'll paraphrase it, but there's a quote of Chris Rocks where he said, the thing that people don't know about comedians is how serious they're being. Totally, totally. Like, yeah, like it's, it's, a, it's a heart attack, you know, like real, it's crazy. Everybody relates, you know, and they're like, oh, crap, you're right. <laughs> you know, that's what's funny about it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, a couple things I want to ask before we uh, wrap up. One is going back to your stage presence and how full throttle your performances are in your stage presence is if you could give advice to someone, because that's something sometimes I can be full throttle, but most of the time I'm not. And I'm trying to, as a performer, get there. And uh, you two are great people to ask how to get to that sort of full throttle stage performance, stage presence level. Um, I think it's very hard to, yeah, I think it's very hard to push it. You know, I think you have to be careful not to try to force, like, like, let's say you're feeling tired one day or something. I think to go out there and try to force something can be a mistake people make. I think you have to honor, like, where you are that day, you know, how you're feeling and whatever. And you can still go full throttle without being loud or whatever, you know. Um, And I think also just, like, being super present it goes kind of back to the improv thing too, like listening to your audience, listening to yourself, listening to how your body feels. 
those would be the things that I think are like really, really important to, um, and then being confident in all those things too. But, um, yeah, I was just going to say being true to where you're at at that moment. Yeah, that's a good. And I think also like, it's just like that, like the confidence is such a big deal and it's so hard to be like, how do you teach confidence? Because, you know, I feel like I went to acting school trying to figure out how to get confident. And, like, you don't find it there. You have you find it, like, out on stage. And, like, you just, the more shows you do, the more confident you get. And, like, people lately, you know, are, are you know, five five years in and people now, people are like, oh, my God, you're, you're so confident. You're such a powerhouse on stage. Well, let me tell you, you should have seen us at our first show. It was like, I couldn't okay. even stand up. I was so nervous uh both of us sat down and like i we i mean i remember my fingers being so slippery with sweat because i was so nervous and i thought i was going to drop my instrument like but like you did it and then you do that and then you know just the more shows you get out there the, the more confident you get and then the easier you the ease on stage that you find after performing what is the saying? It's like you do 10,000 shows or things or what hours and then you're... Yeah, if you... 10,000 hours of focus practice, you can master that skill. Katie, are we at 10,000 yet? I don't know. We're uh, so close, probably. <laughs> you know, I think there's a lot of truth to the statement, but at the same time, I don't think it's... like I think if everyone did 10,000 hours, they'll obviously be at their strongest that they could maybe possibly be with that. But I think some people, it doesn't take 10,000 hours for them to get to mastery. I, I certainly yeah. don't think it would. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you look at Stevie Ray Vaughan, the guitarist and his brother, uh, Jimmy Vaughan, both guitarists, Jimmy Vaughan, older brother started playing guitar before Stevie Ray Vaughan and Stevie Ray Vaughan died in 1990. Jimmy Vaughan, for the last 26 years has continued to play guitar so who was the better guitarist Mm. stevie ray vaughn he got there real quick right he mastered that instrument well before his brother did and doesn't even have this 26 years this past 26 years to continue to get better and jimmy vaughn is still not as good as stevie ray vaughn so i say and he's definitely got well over 10,000 hours in and it's definitely been focused practice because he's playing with Eric Clapton and BB King and all these greats. So you know he has to he has to have the chops, but he's not Stevie Ray Vaughan. So I I think when it comes to being a true master, you just have to have something innate about you to really get there. Um, on the but about fear, um, it is an interesting needle to thread, right? Like it's. It's this the whole stage presence thing. You if you push too much, everyone will notice it and it won't go so well. But you do have fear that you're pushing through a lot of times or just embarrassedness or something. There's something that's holding people back and they feel the need to push through that to get to the right frame of mind and, and headspace in order to perform full throttle and be a powerhouse on stage. But if they push too much, it's not going to be any good. So if you don't push enough, not no good. <laughs> push too much, no good. It's there's this fine uh, uh, needle you have to thread. Well, I think also don't get me wrong. Just to clarify too, when I say 
I hope I'm not confusing people, but when I say push, I think I mean like push your intention on stage when you get to the stage, you know, in terms of like pushing yourself to become better and to keep going and to take those action steps. I think you absolutely have to push. You have to push and push and push. Oh, correct. Yeah. You have to change yourself. Yeah. As opposed to when you're actually on stage, like then you can relax for a moment and enjoy what you're doing in the moment, you know. Uh, yeah, I think practice time is the time to push yourself and challenge yourself to get better. Yes, yes, yes. And put your and book shows and get out there and do stuff that scares you. You know, it's scary to. Um, I was just talking. Uh, I uh, I like. It's so interested in trying stand up. It terrifies me. I don't think I'm gonna be very good at it. I've been trying to find like safe ways to go about trying stand up and. Um, I talked to a friend who has a show that's a pretty low-key show, and he was like, I'm going to book you on the show this month. And I was like, oh, God, no. <laughs> I was like, I don't have a joke or anything. But I was like, maybe I should just go for it because, like, you should totally go be for terrible. it. Yeah, and it's like, I'll probably be terrible yeah. at it. And that's everybody's terrible when they start. Um, but I think just to grow as a human being, I, I'm going to just go for it and do it. You have the stage presence to do it, and you have the ability to write to do it. So, yeah, certainly. Your banter, that's stand-up. It's just with two yeah, people. Yeah, but I, I'll be talking to myself up there. Also, another. so uh, the way it all comes together as far as writing is concerned, from a, from a comedy standpoint, people write based on something that popped in their head or they read something and they had an opinion about it and they saw themselves going in a funny direction with it. So they wrote it down to make it a comedy piece with music. There's several different ways that you can write a song. Of course, a melody can pop in your head, a lyric with a melody can pop in your head, or you could just be jamming, playing your instrument, just sort of jamming and then say like, Oh, this is a nice groove. Let's, uh, (laughs) follow this and into completion and see if maybe it's a song and we can write lyrics to it. You have culminated both of these things. I mean, you're you're taking the comedy side of it and the songwriting side of it. How do you come up with your songs? Like, what is is it just a combination of all the things I just mentioned? Yeah, for sure. <laughs> There's like not been. We wish we had a one formula. Oh, yes. I would die to have like just one way that we just sit down and like then it comes out perfectly every time. But that's just, that's not how that works. It's so messy. You know? Yeah, it's real messy. We, I mean, like you know, just you have to write as much as you can, and you're going to write a lot of crap, but then you're going to find some gold nuggets in there. You just have to keep writing, and I think like for us, like we. We write individually, and then we'll come together and, and pitch ideas, or sometimes we'll be together and write the whole thing uh, sitting on the couch together in one hour, or uh, a, a, a hook will be in somebody's brain for a year. <laughs> it's it like um, there's no uh, exact way that we've figured it out. But um, when we do write for Internet Action Force, which is one of our gigs that we do topical videos, uh, twice a month now, uh, mm-hmm. we sit down with like a Google document and like together we just kind of hash out on this Google doc and then you find a melody and then you memorize it very quickly and put it on the internet as fast as, as you can, <laughs> which is right. a weird, crazy, that's the weirdest, crazy writing process and it's not the ideal, I guess, but it's yeah, a good gig. Yeah. 
from an artistic standpoint, yeah, I guess it's not the ideal thing, but it is when uh, that is kind of, for lack of a more accurate way of describing it, it is kind of like the consumerism of art, right? Where Absolutely, you're, yeah. It's like writing for a late night show. You know, you're not yep. you're not in the mood to be funny, but we have to right now. That's like that's also the thing about like doing this as a profession versus doing this as a hobby. You know, like there's nothing wrong with doing art as a hobby. I think everyone should be doing something, you know, for themselves. Mm-hmm. But if you do want to make a job out of this, you got to there's going to be a lot of times you don't want to do something, you know. And mm-hmm. you have to just suck it up and do it if you really want to be a professional. And I think that that's also something that some people really struggle with, you know. But. Yeah, it's a discipline thing for some, especially some stand-ups, because they want to, sure. it's easy to just go up on stage and start talking sometimes about some ideas that have bounced around your head. But the people that I have seen break in comedy and do well are the people who took the time afterwards to be disciplined and not just goof around. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, like, the comics that write packets and, like, constantly have show ideas ready to pitch, like, those days, they're working every day, all day long during the day on that, and then doing their stand-up at night. So that's hardcore, yeah. for sure. Yeah, that's, uh, that's, that's the struggle. Yeah, but for any listeners that are, like, um, thinking, like, oh, well, crap, I'm, I think I'm working hard, but I'm not working every hour of every day on this thing. Nobody really works that hard. I mean, there is, like, a balance. I mean, I spend most of my time on Facebook. Like, whatever, it's cool, y'all. I lived, yeah, I lived with a very successful comic for five years and, like, or no, not five years, four years, three years, four years, three years. Um, and like, you know, watching that process too, it's like, they come in waves and he, he, he always felt like he wasn't doing enough and he actually worked very hard. So, um, right. I, I think that there's, you, the creative process also needs a little bit of space. So you got to give yourself, cover yourself a little bit of a break, but at the same time, you have to live something you have, you to, have to, you know? yeah, Katie and I, we both really try, we communicate very well about like, you know, I'm taking some time, you know, the next two days off to like live life you know, or travel yeah. or whatever, because you can only have um, success if you uh, live and have life experiences to draw from. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. That's when inspiration has struck me. That's when I have felt the best uh, like moments of inspiration was when I lived life a little and yeah. had some sort of experience that got me going, oh, this is... Uh, this is making me think this. I And it's inspired me to sit down and just start feverishly writing away. Right. Yeah. yeah. Got to yeah. live, too. And also, like, you, you, <laughs> yeah. you see a lot of comics, like, that get famous, and then they start running out of things to talk about because their whole life is just, like, on the road. And then they're like, I don't have anything to say anymore, you know. And that's terrifying, but that happens. Yeah, for sure, yeah. yeah I'm going to Thailand in, in November. I'm going to Thailand for two weeks. And I'm going to live life and come back with some awesome songs about Thailand. <laughs> yeah, that's amazing. I mean, that really, I think, I mean, you do have uh, comics who experience that, I guess, writer's block one way and or lack of inspiration. And you also see musicians and songwriters have an experience that's similar, but not necessarily the same. And even there are a lot of musicians who have kind of lost touch with their fan base because their lifestyle is just being on the road and they don't have anything to talk about that's relatable. 
And, uh, I mean, but yet the police still wrote uh, Man in a Suitcase, and that was a great song, and everyone loves it. (laughs) I guess it can be done. Well, this has been a great talk. We've come to the end now. Um, so oh. it's time to, as, a, as is customary on the podcast, uh, to write uh, something at the end, a brief thing. It does, since uh, you two are musical, uh, mm-hmm. since you do musical comedy, we don't have to write a, 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 a song or a chorus or anything. But let's write, let's come up with the, with the idea for a song together. <laughs> Well, I think our full theme was, like, fear of failure. <laughs> so how do you crack that egg and, and make us, so if we're talking about fear, where do we find the humor in that? Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, maybe it could be something like, it's a song about, like, conquering your fears, and then every time you open your, you're about to start saying it, you're like, no, I can't do it. I, no, I can't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I see that. I can, I can see you two on stage performing this song, and I still don't know what the song is yet. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I'm I'm seeing a, a in my head I'm seeing like this hesitancy of like I'm gonna go do this I'm gonna go maybe tomorrow. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Like, also, or just like I like the idea of just like listing like all these terrifying things like snakes and mice and like working yourself <laughs> up so you're like I gotta go to bed like hide in bed now like I can't. <laughs> I can't. That's how, yeah, we did, we wrote a song kind of in the vein of of fear of, like, we made the joke of that we were, um, we were asked to write a song about guns and gun control, which is such a heavy topic, and we're, like, terrified to even sing really about it, because it's so terrifying, and so joke of, like, singing through it, but then every, there were all these wild noises all around that kept terrifying us, and really that we just, you're safe as long as you don't leave the house. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> maybe, or maybe it could be like scared. Yeah, or maybe it could be like a really misguided song where it's like, "Don't be afraid to jump off a bridge. Don't be afraid to jump." Off a <laughs> yeah, it should be definitely Don't be like afraid a- to pet that lion. Go for it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and David has so, to have to be in the music video for sure. <laughs> it's like the most yeah. uplifting fear song ever. It'd be like a surf. <laughs> Surf ballad or like a um, yeah, just totally. Don't be afraid to get in the ring with Holly Hole. It's okay that you didn't work out today. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) So we've got the idea. We've even got some. (laughs) We've got some lyrics. Even what uh in your process? What would be next? Would it be to uh, a structure of the song, like what are the verses and what's our chorus and what's our chord progression even, you know, like what what would be the next stage? Yeah, it would definitely be like A, B, A, bridge sort of thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we usually write yeah, down the lyrics we... and then find find the melody after that sometimes. Yeah, I mean, that's <laughs> For those uh, international for we usually start with the lyrics and then just throw a little melody on there. But um, we want to really get like like a good strong horse song. I would say yeah. Um, get trying to find like a hook or something, you know, to kind of hold the whole thing together. Like what's then the whole main theme of the song? If it's fear, then or conquering your fear, then maybe the hook would be something along the lines of like, you know, we're gonna conquer our fears. We're gonna conquer our fears. 
um, give me a beer and then I'll conquer my fears or whatever. <laughs> um, but like, and then you have these like verses kind of coming off from there and then maybe a bridge if you're feeling it or, and also and how, thinking about like the style of the song you want it to be, you know, I think we think about that sometimes too, where it's like, do we want this to be like an, we do a lot of country stuff. So it's like, is it like an old country tune? Is it a pop country <laughs> tune? Is it like a mariachi tune? Is it an R and B cool, relaxed, song is it a jazz song is it you know whatever how much does that determine this the comedic structure of this of the song like what uh what does that process look like once you've gotten like when you get to the bridge you have to change up the the joke maybe a little bit or or tweak uh uh some some sort of new game within the joke of the song it can be i think it so depends on the song and what you're what's Mm -hmm. happening in the song um in the sphere one yeah, maybe in the fear one there'd be a game change where it's like you start to show get your scared. <laughs> yeah, and then you get back together. Don't worry, it's gonna be fine. <laughs> <laughs> we both have just like mental breakdowns, and then we pick everybody back up again. <laughs> <laughs> so okay, what what would be the uh, song title of this reformed horse song? Um. Stop wetting your pants and just do it. I don't know. <laughs> like, do it. Do it. I even sang the title. <laughs> you have to sing the title, though, when you say she does. But she does. She'll call and sing. Yeah. We should make all of our titles be, like, kind of singable so that people make requests. We're like, I don't know what you're saying. You have to sing the title. <laughs> you have to sing the request. Yeah. That's hilarious. <laughs> That's what we're going to do. That's our new, our new M.O. <laughs> Stop wetting your pants and just do it. Yeah. <laughs> well, there it is. That's, we'll call it there. We created a song together. Aww. It's really great. Yeah, I love it. I was just going to say we could start, you know, singing it in, like, elementary school. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Teach them young. <laughs> That's McDonald's business plan. <laughs> it worked for McDonald's. It can work for the reform tours. Yeah. Kids addicted to our music. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I've loved this chat and uh, getting to spend a little time with you and hearing from you. Thanks for being on the podcast. Oh, thank you so much for having us. Oh, man. I really, really love those two. They are great. Great people. Really loved having them on. Weren't they great? They were awesome. The Reform Tours have music you can buy. Find their music on their website, reformtours.com, or on iTunes. And obviously, you can find out about future shows on their website. They have quite a few shows coming up at the end of July. They're going to be in Pittsburgh, Louisville, Memphis, and a slew of cities in Texas. Go see them if you're close to those cities. Details on reformtours.com. Also, Marie co-created a comedy web series with Emily Fleming called Ghosted Busters that is being released today. It's about the modern phenomenon ghostings. Very funny. Both Katie and Marie are in it. Go to ghostedbusters.com to check it out. Would you like to support the podcast? Well, you know what? Thank you. And you can. Go to thereitispod.com and click on support. 
You can donate one time or monthly. Support will help keep this work of passion of mine alive, and I can buy more equipment, maybe even do some video episodes or some videos down the line. Essentially, provide even more content and bring you the very best podcasts I can. Today's episode was sponsored in part by the early support of wonderful people like Heidi Sherlambos, Jessica Knoll, Megan Johnson, Carrie Dennis, and Chip Reeves. Thank you so much for your support. It really means a lot to me. Follow me on Twitter at Jason Far Jokes. Follow the podcast Theritis Pod at Theritis Pod. May you all have Theritis. There you have it, folks. Another episode of There It Is. The next episode is a fun one. I talk to actress and comedian Sarah Rose. I'm your host, Jason Farr. Until next time, be good to each other. The music for the theme song was created by Neil Brooks. The rap was written and performed by Nick Acevedo. The logo for There It Is was created by Jeff Prater. The There It Is podcast is produced by Jason Farr. 